You're listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go, a podcast that'll change how you think and change your life. I'm Willie Horton and I'm a psychologist. I've been helping people change their lives since 1996. Broadcasting from the French Alps and delighted to have you along. Let's take this week's step in the right direction. The headline on a newspaper article caught my attention a few weeks ago. It read, silence can be hurtful. So I said to myself straight away, right, I'm not going to read that article. That's another article about victimhood. People think they're victims of this, that, and the other. People think they are victims of other people's bad behavior, victims of abuse. I'll come back to that in a moment. Victims of circumstance victims of bad luck, victims of other people's bullying, you name it. People love feeling victimized. That means they can go looking for the help they don't want. Yes, I had a conversation with our program owners on Zoom a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about how very often someone will ask you for help and when you offer it to them, they don't accept it. They're not looking for help. They're looking for attention, as all of us are looking for attention because we can't give attention to ourselves when we're using our minds normally. Now, let me pick up on the point I made in relation to abuse because people have been abused. Lord knows I've worked with so many people over the last 28 years who have been the victim of abuse, or should I say, were abused. Victimhood encourages you to repeat the abuse. In other words, somebody did something terrible to you at some point along the way, and the more you think about it, the more you do it to yourself all over again. Bad enough that it was done to you once or twice or however many number of times, far worse if you keep doing it to yourself. If normal people are the victim of anything, it is that they are the victim of their own way of thinking. I recollect a number of years ago, I had a well-known client stay with me here in the apps for three days. And after he returned home, the very first thing he did was resigned as the chair of a charity that helped victims. I can't remember, or perhaps I don't even know, what victims of what. I don't know what the charity was. But he rang me a few days later and he said, that's the very first thing I did. Because what was I doing? I was encouraging people to continually feel victimized. I was encouraging people to actually do what was done to them once over and over again. And worse of all, do it to themselves over and over again. Now, as I said, I don't know what the newspaper article that was headed, Silence Can Be Hurtful, was all about. I don't read those kind of articles. That's not to say that my mind is closed. I'm constantly reading all kinds of stuff, but the stuff that tickles my fancy the most is the research in relation to how we can step out of what I referred to a minute ago as that way of thinking, the old-fashioned way of thinking, the normal way of thinking, the way in which normally-minded people constantly and repetitively think from one day to the next since they were 12 or 13 years of age.
I want to look at silence from the exact opposite perspective. Silence is empowering. Or should I say, silence can be empowering if you're that way inclined, if you're that way minded. We're in a period here between the Christmas festivities and the new year. And very often we find ourselves with none of the madness of everyday routine life having to be done. We find ourselves at a loose end. Now, the interesting thing is that people are not good when they find themselves at a loose end. Research in Stanford University many years ago, and by the way, for reference, I'm not talking about the Stanford prison experiment. I'm talking about a completely different piece of research. But that research showed that if you were placed in solitary confinement, so to speak, with no distractions, no window to look out of, after 12, 13 hours, you would have descended into gibbering negativity because in the absence of something to occupy us, and we've talked about being occupied and preoccupied recently, in the absence of distraction, in a vacuum, in the vacuum of silence, the normal thinking mind will fill that vacuum with rubbish. The same old rubbish from one day to the next, but in the silence, that rubbish will be magnified and that rubbish will be layered upon layered upon layered rubbish. And we go off down a dark alley. Now, I'm not being negative about that. I'm just stating the science. I'm stating what everybody who reflects on how their thinking mind mugs them. I'm reflecting on the reality of normal, crazy thinking. But as I said, silence is empowering. Why do you think over the centuries, religious orders in so many different religious cultures take vows of silence. Now, I don't want to have a conversation in relation to religion or organized religion. We could have a whole other conversation in relation to that, but suffice it for me to say that I recollect many years ago, obviously many years ago at this stage, being at a pre-First Communion meeting in my son's school in Dublin. He was getting ready to make his First Communion in the Roman Catholic Church. And the parents were brought together for a little chat and conversation about a week before the event. And the priest stood up on the stage and said, I'd like you to break into pairs and talk about spirituality and religion. And of course, me being me, I said audibly, but they're two completely different things. I wasn't forcibly ejected, but I was encouraged not to be disruptive. And perhaps the best way I would not be disruptive was to leave the gathering. Anyway, as I said, we won't get into a discussion on organized religion. But the point that I made a minute ago is well made. People of a variety of spiritual traditions over the centuries, over the millennia, have taken themselves far from the madding crowd. They've taken themselves off into solitude or off into silence or both. Now, I recollect the first time that I did a Vipassana retreat, which is a 
11-day process where for 10 of those 11 days, you sit in silence and meditate. The gong goes off at four o'clock in the morning. You're in the meditation hall at 4.30. You meditate from then to 6.30. And at 6.30, you have your breakfast and you're back in the meditation hall at 7.30. And you're there until 12 noon. Then you have the main meal of the day. You're back in the meditation hall at 1.30. And you're there till 5.30 when you have a little light something, a piece of fruit, actually. And then there's a little chat or you're spoken to during the evening. You're on silence and you go to bed at nine and start the whole process again at four o'clock the following morning. So we're on silence for all of that time. Now, as another aside in relation to the disruptive streak that obviously runs through me, the five o'clock meal in the evening was a piece of fruit. So the first evening I was there, I was probably feeling sorry for myself. Maybe I was feeling like I was a victim, a victim of my own circumstances. I took an apple and a banana. The following evening, I went into the dining hall at 5 p.m. to get my fruit, and there was a big notice on the wall. One underlined piece of fruit only. Someone was obviously watching. Anyway, that's a digression. In the silence, you learn an awful lot about yourself. I recollect that on the third day of that retreat, I came to a realization that I was literally stark raving mad. The amount of noise in my head that had become magnified as a result of sitting in silence was incredible. And it was disjointed mad stuff going through my head. But that passed. And as it passed, I could link up where all the disjointed pieces of madness had originated from. An interesting process, probably an unnecessary process. It sounds a little bit like self-psychoanalysis, but that's not the key point that I want to make in relation to sitting in silence. Once the inner muck from my subconscious mind had floated to the surface and evaporated, I was in a completely and utterly different place. Silence is empowering. Now, if you find yourself at a loose end at this time of the year between Christmas and the new year, it provides you with a wonderful opportunity to sit in silence. But I want to suggest to you that you sit in silence in a different way to the retreat way, the full-time meditation retreat way that I talked about a minute ago. I want to talk about something different. It is an exercise that I recommend to most of the people with whom I work. Now, some people don't get to the point that it is recommended to them for the simple reason that everybody takes their own journey at their own pace. And even though I always say in these podcast episodes that online program owners are constantly encouraging each other by saying to each other that you need to follow the process. The process in practice is as different for each individual as each individual is different. One size fits nobody. 
but I'm suggesting this particular exercise to you now in this lull between Christmas and the New Year. Now, of course, you mightn't be experiencing that lull. You might have a load of visitors or a load of family staying with you, in which case you probably need to mini-meditate. You probably need to chill out yourself. You probably need to find a little bit of me time just to chill and cool down. As somebody said to me a couple of years ago, coming up to Christmas, I'm going to have a house full of my children, adult children. Imagine trying to keep seven confined adults in the same space, happy over the course of four or five days. A nightmare. Now, of course, it's only a nightmare if they're all thinking crazy thoughts, as a result of which they're all automatically reacting and bouncing off each other. Ah, normal, crazy family life. Okay, let me get back to what I'm talking about here. I would suggest to you that you allocate three to four hours. That's three to four hours together, not three to four separate hours. In other words, a period of three to four hours where you can sit somewhere and watch the world go by. I could put that another way, that you sit somewhere and do nothing. And people often say to me when I recommend that, they say, you mean you actually want me to do nothing? Surely I'll be doing something. I said, well, you will end up doing something. And if you manage your state of mind properly, and after all, that's what the online program is all about. That's what I am all about. That's what I've been talking about since 1996. That's what I've been talking about in my videos since 2008, the weekly Thursday morning video that goes out, obviously, every Thursday morning. That's what I've been talking about in all these podcast episodes, managing your state of mind. If you are managing your state of mind for those three or four hours, the something that you will do is that you will observe and experience each passing moment as it arises and as it passes. Imagine in the space of just three or four hours, not just learning to be able to do that, but experiencing it and appreciating it, because that is the way we're supposed to live our lives in the rough and tumble and cut and thrust of our ordinary, challenging, everyday lives. We're supposed to observe and act rather than think and knee-jerk react. This can be done anywhere. I recollect recommending this to one particular client with whom I was working one-to-one -one many years ago at this stage. And he decided he was going to sit by the River Shannon in Ireland for a whole day. Because that is actually what I suggested to him. He sat there for the whole day by flowing water. The positively charged ions in flowing water will help the brain's rhythm settle. Sat there for the whole day in the Midlands, in Ireland, in the pouring rain and got the flu. I'm not suggesting that you do that. I'm suggesting that you find somewhere nice where you can sit, where there is enough activity for you to observe each passing moment. Now, isn't that interesting, even as I say that? 
it suggests to me, certainly, that we're not too far removed from the distraction that we normally need. As I said, the Stanford experiment that I mentioned earlier literally placed people in solitary confinement without distraction. This isn't distraction, though. This is the reality of each passing moment, as in reality, each passing moment arises and passes away. And effectively, this exercise can be done anywhere. Another client of mine, again, many years ago, got the same recommendation from me. And by chance, of course, it wasn't chance. It wasn't even coincidence. It was what we call and what you and I know as synchronicity. The following day, he had to drive up to Dublin, to Dublin airport, to pick up his mother-in-law, who was flying in from the United States. Her flight was delayed by five hours. So he sat in the arrivals lounge in Dublin airport, not the nicest of places, for four and a half hours and watched the world go by. He said to me, I learned more about myself in those four and a half hours than I had learned in the preceding four and a half decades. What will you learn about yourself? Well, I don't know, because I don't know you. And as I said a few minutes ago, one size fits nobody. What you will find is that as your mind settles, your settling mind will begin to present you with insights. Some people call them aha moments. Other people say the things occur to them. Once we begin to become accustomed to having aha moments and having things occur to us as a result of that kind of training, if I can put it like that, things begin to occur to us. We begin to have aha moments during the course of our everyday life. And that means that we're actually in tune with and listening to and feeling our gut instinct, because that's where these aha moments come from. Now, people will often say to me, are you just talking about my gut instinct? And the answer is no, we're talking about your part of the greater gut instinct. In other words, as we've said on many occasions in this podcast, we are energy flowing and floating in a sea of universal energy. We are part of something greater. The field of good ideas, the field of intuitions, comes up through our own intuition, in through our own body. That's why it's called a gut instinct. But it is part of a greater gut instinct or a greater intuition. We could look at that from the perspective of quantum physics. And we will for just a moment, actually, because some people will question the veracity of what I've just said because it sounds a little on the airy-fairy side. If you look at Brian Greene's book, The Fabric of the Cosmos, now that is not everybody's cup of tea. I've recommended that to a number of people, and some people have come back to me and they've said, well, that was gobbledygook. I have no idea what that book was about at all, for the simple reason that there's all kinds of scientific experiment explained that makes no sense to me at all. But anyway, Brian Greene's book, The Fabric of the Cosmos, he talks about how the universe is moving from a state of absolute order to a state of disorder. 
In other words, there is increasing entropy in the universe. And if you look at the news at the moment, or if you look at what's going on in the world, or even what's going on in your world around you, you'll say to yourself, oh yeah, there's a lot of disorder in this universe at this moment in time. But quantum physics says that the possibility, the mathematical possibility of there being enough order in this universe for your body of energy to manifest as your body for one second is 0. 0.000, a whole page of zeros, one. In other words, it's almost completely impossible. It's beyond impossible, actually. And yet we're all here, moment to moment, however many billion people of us there are on this planet, even alone at this moment in time, floating around in a solar system and in a cosmos that is grand and growing and accelerating in growth all the time. Quantum physics tells us that there is no possibility of there being the level of order that there actually is in the universe at this moment in time, were it not for the fact that the order is being orchestrated by, and I quote, the underlying entity. I'm just going to leave that, which is a quote from Brian Greene's book, hanging there. I want to come back to the suggestion that I am recommending to you in this particular episode. That between now and the new year, that you take some time, and I've said the amount of time, three or four hours, that you take a good chunk of time to sit and experience the world as it arises, as it passes, moment to moment. Now, this is not a challenge. This is not an exercise that you have to work through. I recommended this to one particular girl lots oh, a number of years ago now at this point in time. And she rang me the following day and she said, Willie, I did it. She said, and I did it in 90 minutes. I said, that wasn't the point. The point is to allow yourself settle, allow your mind settle and allow your intuition talk to you so that you can actually feel it in your body as a result of the flow of energy in your body. Now, very often people at this time of the year will sit down in silence and reflect. That's not what I'm talking about. Reflecting is, I suppose, a form of thinking. Subtle difference, subtle difference, but I'm not suggesting that. Some people will reflect on the year just ending and reflect on what they want to achieve in the year that will begin in a few days' time. Now, I know you don't want to hear this, but there's no merit in you setting New Year's resolutions because New Year's resolutions are kind of a con job that fools normal crazy people into thinking that oh, next year will be different when they know for a fact that this year is pretty much the same as last year and the one before and the New Year's resolutions to which they will commit for next year will probably be the same as last year's and the year before. A fool's errand New Year's resolutions, if for no other reason, then why would you wait to a date in a calendar, 1st of January, to change your life when you can change your life in the next breath that you take right now? It's a choice that you make. Remember, we've talked about choice quite a bit recently. We've talked about how we need to make the choice to be present in the moment. And, you know, that becomes easier and easier to the point of effortlessness as a result of the amount of work 
that we put into ourselves in the here and now. I don't like the word work. People will associate work with effort, but that's their own stupidity. We're back to the thinking mind and what we make of reality, the mess we make of reality by thinking about it. The work I'm talking about is obviously morning meditation. The work I'm talking about is calling ourselves to mind during the course of the day, enhancing the moment to moment of our daily lives through becoming increasingly, by choice, aware of what's going on moment to moment during the cut and thrust of the day. And then from time to time, having taken those little steps, one now at a time, we can sit down for three or four hours and allow ourselves effortlessly take a giant leap. It's a suggestion. That's all it is. Like everything else, you have a choice. <laughs> As I said to somebody a few days ago, I am a guy with signposts. It's up to you whether you take the journey or not. But the journey... The adventure, which is a more appropriate word, when we begin to experience a life-changing moment, an aha moment, something that occurs to us, when we begin to understand ourselves better, our real selves, when we begin to experience ourselves better, which is probably one of the key benefits of sitting down for three or four hours. What you learn not about your conceptual self, like the conceptual self will act up during those three or four hours, but what you learn about yourself as a result of simply being, observing, experiencing. You might even feel yourself appreciating. And ultimately, you might feel yourself appreciating yourself. Ultimately, this whole adventure, the one I referred to a moment ago, the one that we're always talking about, is an adventure in becoming so intimately acquainted with our own inner power that we begin to not just appreciate ourselves, but realize that we can trust ourselves. We can trust our intuition. We can trust that when we do have an aha moment or something occurs to us, that having felt it rather than just thought it, that we can trust that that is the right manner in which to put our next foot forward in the next step we take on this great journey, on this great adventure. Now, one final suggestion. If you do find yourself with time on your hands over these few days, or if you don't, find yourself with time on your hands these few days, you should make some time to work through my current free online video-based training. It's only three sessions. They'll be dropped into your inbox one at a time over the next few days if you sign up. And you can use the link in your podcast player right now to do just that. Ultimately, as I said a minute ago, Every little bit of work we put into ourselves ensures that this work in progress that we are makes the kind of progress that the normally minded way of thinking could never even begin to imagine. You've been listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go. To get involved, join me in my Facebook group, strangely enough called, to succeed, just let go. 
and for more information visit www.willie-horton.com